Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. An increasing number of studies show that the ways in which people with autism spectrum disorder move are not, contrary to earlier beliefs, aspects of ASD that can't be treated. Researchers have found that not only can motor skills be successfully developed, but that doing so through fun activities such as dancing, music, yoga, and playing movement-based video games with others also can improve the communication, social, and cognitive abilities of children with autism. One of those researchers is physical therapist Anjana Bott at the University of Delaware. For the past 17 years, she's been working with children with ASD and their families to develop creative therapies so that kids can better connect with their world and the people in it. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, she talks about everything from the facts and myths surrounding ASD to the reasons why children with autism tend to smile and talk more when they dance to music or participate in group yoga than when they engage in sedentary activities. What most terrifies her about working with kids with ASD? It's nothing you'd likely guess. We asked her about that and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation with Anjana. So, Anjana, first of all, thank you for joining us today and, and sharing your insights and, and your research findings with us. A good place to start might be to discuss briefly uh, what it means for individuals to have autism spectrum disorder, or ASD. The statistics one hears are startling. According to the journal Pediatrics, the estimated prevalence of U.S. children with a parent-reported ASD diagnosis is now 1 in 40, with boys being about three and a half times more likely to have the diagnosis than girls do. The behavioral, intellectual, and physical manifestations of the disorder vary greatly by uh, individuals. So can you talk a little bit first, Anjana, about what ASD is and isn't and about some of the most common myths that may surround it? Sure. First off, thank you for having me and for this opportunity. So to answer your question, autism spectrum disorder or ASD is a developmental brain disorder and it affects the social skills and verbal and non-verbal communication skills of children, which means it affects a child's ability to interact socially with others and also their speech and their ability to express themselves through limb and body movements or eye gaze and emotions. Children with ASD also have different repetitive behaviors, so uh, flapping of arms or rocking of their body, um, and also have restricted interests. So they might have strong interests in dinosaurs or cars or trains or stop signs. And that can vary from child to child. And when do these symptoms become obvious? For classical autism, they might become obvious between 18 months to two years. And so they could be diagnosed with autism anywhere from 18 months to up to four years, in fact. And for some children, those who have Asperger disorder, this could be diagnosed even as late as seven years because these children specifically have a social impairment but do not have a language or a intellectual impairment. And so next thing we could talk about are myths about ASD. An old myth about ASD has been that it is caused by bad parenting or what's called the refrigerator mother hypothesis. But the work that has been done over the last 40 years in terms of research has shown that 
ASD is a brain disorder uh, due to poor connections between brain areas, and it begins in utero. And so these symptoms could not be caused by bad, bad parenting or uh, anything like that. Another myth about ASD is that people with autism are either savants or uh, intellectually disabled, when the reality is that the symptoms of autism vary greatly, as you said, and the entire range of intellect is represented uh, on the autism spectrum. And so the last myth that I would say is that people think ASD is a purely social communication disorder, and it is not the case. It is a whole brain disorder. It affects not just speech and social interaction, but also sensory motor skills, as well as cognitive or thinking skills. And in fact, uh, recent research has shown that other bodily systems may also be affected, for example, the digestive system or immune system. You've provided me with a good segue to what was going to be my next question. You've worked with children with autism for the past, what, 17 years now. Uh, before that, though, your own understanding of how you could help this population as a physical therapist was limited. At that time, movement or uh, motor-related issues were considered to be uh, manifestations of autism that couldn't be treated. Um, you, you challenged that thinking, and you started to engage in research that would establish an important role for physical therapy and physical therapists. So, and John, I wanted to ask you, what told you from the get-go that you were on the right track, and what did you set out in your research to, to test, discover, and learn? So you're right, Eric. I was uh, exposed to the complexities of ASD much later in my career as a postdoctoral fellow at the Kennedy Krieger Institute's Center for Autism. And what I heard then, and I still often hear, is that motor problems in ASD are, you know, comorbidities. They don't need to be treated. They should only be studied because they reflect how affected the brain is in a particular child. But for other diagnoses that I I had, um, you know, come across and worked with uh, children with cerebral palsy, let's say, or Down syndrome, if that child has a substantial motor delay uh, and a language delay, you are always address both the motor and language issues. So, you know, autism shouldn't be treated any other way. If children have significant motor issues, then those should be addressed along with their social communication issues. Um, and so one big message for parents and clinicians working with children with ASD uh, from me is that you, if you see movement difficulties um, in, in your child, if you see coordination problems, um, you know, difficulty with fundamental skills like jumping or hopping or skipping or playing on the playground, ball skills or you know, functional skills, daily skills like dressing or uh, playing sports, then you have to be a motor advocate for your child um, and request for OT services or PT services uh, to address their, you know, fine motor or gross motor issues. Um, and so it may not be naturally recommended within the um, current standard of care, but it is much needed for children with autism. So my next question, this, and this, this is a rather lengthy question, so, so, so bear with me, but um, in a question and answer interview that you did recently with your school, with the University of uh, Delaware uh, interviewer, 
you conceded that there's a quote dearth of research evidence for the for the effectiveness of motor uh, interventions in children with autism. Yet you added, and I'm quoting you here: "I have not had a problem convincing parents that there is value in using creative movement activities to promote skills in children with autism." And in that Q and A, you continued, and I'm quoting you again: "Across many different studies, we find that social skills like smiling and verbalization are substantially higher when children with autism engage in socially embedded movements versus sedentary games, such as checkers or, or building things with Legos. And so then you concluded, there is immense value in using themes like music and movement, yoga and dance to promote social communication, cognition, and motor skills in children with autism. So first of all, you seem to be saying that while the anecdotal evidence of the effectiveness of these activities is abundant, the existence of hard evidence or hard research uh, is lacking. Why is that? So at that time when I was interviewed, I meant that compared to the conventional behavioral or medical therapies uh, provided to children with ASD, clinical trials for movement therapies were limited. And I think that is, again, because of this scientific approach that let's study motor problems. It is not important enough to be treated or addressed through intervention. But since then, I think the researchers have been at work and now there is, just last year, there has been a meta-analysis. So this is a formal review of all studies uh, looking at how gross motor intervention promotes gross motor skills in children with ASD. And this was published in 2019 by Case and Yoon. And luckily, our study is also listed. So our research is also listed in this meta-analysis. But there were many other studies listed. And what they found was that providing, you know, around eight weeks uh, of intervention, three days per week for about an hour, led to large positive effects on gross motor performance of children with autism. And so right now there are around, I would say, 18 studies were listed in this analysis. So there is a growth in the literature, but there needs to be much more evidence out there in terms of long-term studies to show effects such as carryover. That is, if you work on children's motor skills to either creative movement or other ideas that there is not only improvement in motor performance, but carryover in their everyday life. So in layman's terms, uh, what's the science behind why activities like dance and yoga uh, have effects on social communication and motor skills in this population when compared with activities such as uh, sedentary games? So why use creative movement to promote skills in children uh, with ASD? Uh, so first off, it helps you practice motor skills like jumping, skipping, balancing. Uh, you know, it strengthens your uh, muscles as you practice these movement skills in a fun situation. Uh, it also allows you to practice social skills like eye contact, going back and forth as you take turns. Um, Nonverbal communication. You're able to use your limb and body movements to express your emotions to others. You see improvements in not only the motor domain, but also the social communication skills, as well as cognitive skills of children. Because when you dance, when you move, you perform a series of movements, and that requires motor planning and uh, a level of thinking. Over the last 11 years, we've done, um, we've explored three different approaches, um, music and movement, yoga and dance. 
And we find that compared to this control group uh, that you mentioned uh, that received standard therapies, um, children with uh, ASD typically receive these sort of tabletop uh, sedentary play therapies. Compared to that group, um, the groups that received either music and movement or yoga or dance therapy showed greater uh, smiles. So they, in, during the sessions, they were uh, enjoying the sessions more. Uh, they also showed more socially directed language communication. Um, and then uh, within the domain um, that was practiced in terms of motor skills, they showed improvements within that domain. So the music, dance, and yoga group practiced more gross motor skills, and those improved in that group versus in the control group. If you're seated, you're engaging in more building and art craft type activities, and there were improvements in the fine motor skills of those children. So in terms of... Um, social communication, you find more enjoyable responses in children with autism. And then on the motor side, you see more task-specific or training-specific improvements in terms of the skills that are practiced. Um, and so for this reason, I think the evidence that I was talking about is based off of the work I have done. Um, and then also the new um, literature review that has come out last year is validating this finding uh, through not only use of creative movement, but other types of movement. So it could be, you know, play with peers in the gym. It could be uh, video gaming tools to engage the child and get them to um, engage in physical activity. Uh, it could also be perhaps animal interaction. So uh, certain equine-assisted therapy approaches were also uh, included in that uh, meta-analysis. Well, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Last fall, you were you were featured in a New York Times article on on this subject about dance, the effects of dance, in, in particular with this with this population. And you had talked about your research at the University of Delaware, in which you're studying the ways in which dance affects behavior and the verbal, social, and, and motor skills of children with autism. Uh, the writer of the article noted that one of your research participants, a 14-year-old boy, at one point spun around while he was dancing and shouted, I love you, to his mom, who, who was stunned and thrilled because it was the first time she'd ever uh, uh, heard him say that to her. Uh, things like that must give you a, a great joy for the children and their families, as well as offering you uh, professional validation. So. Without revealing any private patient information, can you share with us maybe some patient stories or situations in which you've had kind of breakthrough moments with patients and or their parents as part of your work and part of your research? So in a recent study that we have been, actually this is an ongoing study, uh, we've been offering a blended intervention uh, to children. So it is a combination of music, dance, and yoga activities. Uh, we have worked with a boy uh, with autism spectrum disorder, uh, but he loves to sing and loves to do yoga, uh, not so much dance. So he will, uh, you know, tolerate the dancing and then, uh, will really enjoy the music and the yoga activities. Um, and he always waits uh, eagerly for the student trainers who visit him um, and, you know, asks for, oh, when will Emily come or when will James come? Um, and James is another trainer in our study. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, they are looking to uh, engage in the activities and they are also over time, building friendships with the people who are uh, dancing or moving with them. 
Um, they are also, you know, missing us. So when the study comes to an end, uh, they are disappointed that, oh, now, you know, Emily and James won't be visiting them or won't be playing with them. And so what you find is that um, they not only enjoy the activities and show improvements in their behaviors, but also develop a relationship uh, with the trainers who visit them. Well, you know, it's interesting. You 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 had just alluded to the fact that um, that you know studies do end uh, eventually. And uh, earlier, you had uh, made an allusion to the uh, carryover effect. So I wanted to ask you, Anjana, can you talk about the benefits of therapeutic activity that occur in the clinic during uh, therapy? Uh, do those translate to longer-term behavioral changes in your patients? In other words, do you see cumulative benefits? So that's a very good question. So some of our parents have told us that they see improvements at home. So I remember James, the child who was um, noted in the New York Times article, his mom said that uh, while he was receiving the dance therapies, he seemed to have come out of his shell and was expressing more and uh, speaking more and sharing more at home uh, was um, happier. Um, And so... That is one example I can remember. Another example I can remember is of a child with uh, autism and Down syndrome. And her parents had said that, uh, you know, she usually at, at home at the dinner table or in conversations does not speak much. But this one time she uh, greeted everyone uh, appropriately. And that is something that she had learned in the dance sessions that she was doing uh, with our trainers. And so, you know, there are different examples or anecdotes uh, parents have given us. Uh, The hard part about um, looking at carryover in this way is that we have to rely on parent reports and parent questionnaires. And again, they know about the intervention. And so we can never tell if the information that they are giving us, um, you know, uh, usually these concrete examples are great, but sometimes we don't know what level of bias we have provided the parents when we actually tell them exactly what intervention their child is receiving. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the other thing is that we don't have a snapshot of the child in their home or in their school to assess what the carryover is. And thirdly, we ourselves have tried to improve our studies over time where we ask parents, what are some of the skills you would like us to um, engage in with the child? And we actually practice those skills uh, during training and then look for how those skills improved over time um, within the period when we provide the interventions. Um, But I, I think much remains to be done in terms of examining effects of carryover. Uh, The studies need to be more long-term and um, more needs to be done to examine carryover itself. But that that is an area in which which, which you're interested and you can see further uh, further research being conducted. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. 
I wanted to ask you, um, is there other research related to autism that you've conducted or, or that you plan to conduct that you, you'd care to bring to our listeners' attention? Absolutely. So I would like to talk about some of the you know, neural effects uh, or brain effects of dance and music. So there's work done by Krista Hyde at, in Canada where they have compared the behaviors or skills as well as brains of dancers versus musicians uh, versus controls. And what they find is that dancers tend to um, have more diffused or uh, overall uh, connections within the brain. So many different regions of their brain are connected versus in the case of musicians who've done uh, musical training for several years, they seem to have very specific connections between the joints or the limbs and um, the other parts of their brain. And so their connections are more coherent and specific. And so that tells us how dance and music can shape the brain um, in many different ways. And what we are trying to do right now is look at whether there are uh, brain activity effects uh, in children with autism. So we are not only looking to provide the blended intervention and look at behavioral change, but also looking at whether uh, such intervention using creative movement can shape the brains of children with autism. So uh, some families might not have sufficient access to physical therapy or, or be able to continue regular therapy for their, their child with autism. What advice would you give to those parents? Um, yes, so based on the formal review uh, that was published last year by uh, Case and Yoon, you know, what they showed is that there is not a single specific intervention idea that is more effective. The different ideas based on the studies that have been done so far were use of creative movement, which was the work uh, we had done uh, using music, dance, and or uh, or yoga, so those approaches could be used, or other forms of physical activity. So just playing in the gym or outdoors, playing a sport. Um, it could be video gaming technologies that promote physical activity. So using um, Xbox and Kinect, this one study uh, encouraged children with autism to play a variety of mini sports, so soccer, volleyball, tennis, and so on. Uh, and that had improvements in their gross motor skills and also animal interactions. There was a study on equine-assisted therapies that had some carryover in terms of gross motor skills. And so while they each have certain unique advantages, all of these different approaches um, seem to have some effects on gross motor performance. And so parents who are uh, looking to engage their child in such skills uh, could use a variety of means depending on what their child likes and enjoys. Um, and so they will have to identify that and also a resource that is available in the community to them. Uh, because what happens is it's not just the motor skills they are pra practicing. Um, the child um, ends up developing relationships uh, with the people in the group. Um, it could be the trainers, it could be other children, and so they develop not only social skills but also a lot of confidence that they belong um, somewhere. 
Well, one, one thing that's interesting to me in what you were just saying is that, uh, um, you know, uh, 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 video games, Xbox and things like that that you mentioned are, are, are frequently uh, uh, criticized for, for uh, uh, kind of demeaning the social skills of, uh, of youth. But what you're saying is in, a, in an autism context that uh, they can have great benefits. Yes, if it is used in a group setting, so if there are two people uh, playing the game through the Xbox, that could be used to promote social skills. But that particular study was promoting gross motor performance, and what they have shown is there are improvements in gross motor skills through something that children enjoy. So, yes, I agree that using only that and leaving the child to his own devices is not a good idea because mm-hmm. you probably will lose your child to the, you know, the Xbox game that you are playing. So you want to make it a social activity where you are also playing with the child and taking turns perhaps. Um, or if the game is set up to involve two players, and then that can allow for social interaction as well. Right, right. So uh, this is going to be my last question, but uh, this is something that really interested me. The uh, the person who had interviewed you uh, for that University of Delaware Q and A uh, asked you something that struck me as a bit odd. Uh, uh, not that the, the person asked not just what you find most satisfying about your work, which is a, which is a logical question to ask, but what you find quote unquote most terrifying about your work. And I expected you to maybe uh, talk about some dark professional fears related to the complexities of autism and the difficulties of battling people misperceptions about it or something like that. But what you actually said in response was, and I'm quoting you here, the terrifying part is when I no longer will be able to do this work. So, and John, in closing, I wanted to ask you, why is it that this work is so deeply gratifying to you that it would upset you so much if uh, at such time that you would have to give it up? I wanted to talk about the dark professional fears. So I don't have any such fears about working with children because so far we've worked with Uh, close to 100 children with ASD, and we've always figured out how to, um, you know, address the challenging behaviors we see. So we adapt our interactions with them, and we usually see that, the you know, the child sees us um, making an effort to engage them. And so they are uh, also, in a way, committed to what we are doing. But if they don't like a certain activity and they're telling us this is not something I want to do, then we know to move on to something else that is enjoyable to them. So, so far, we haven't faced a clinical situation where uh, we have not been able to interact with the child. Um, and so, I, I, at the moment, I, I can't think of any, you know, dark professional that <laughs> I thought was very funny. Um, and then also regarding misconceptions, I think opportunities like this and also our uh, ability to publish our work helps uh, allay those um, misconceptions people might have about this research. Um, and then the third thing that you're asking, why is it terrifying that, you know, I would not be able to do this work, that's because... I think I work with a group of people, not only the students I work with, but also the families we work with who are so committed to their child. You know, they are uh, grappling with uh, the challenges of their child's behavior and their child's diagnosis, and they are very resilient. So it's an honor to work with them. Um, And also, anytime I am facing challenges in my own uh, work in terms of 
um, you know, a paper rejection or grant rejection or anything like that, the first thing I have to remind myself is that there is a greater purpose for what we are doing because when we inform parents about, you know, why this intervention works or uh, what interventions to use, we are helping them make decisions uh, about what to offer to their child. Um, And so, you know, we are grateful to be in this profession. And so I love this work and uh, hope to do it for the longest time possible. Well, your your enthusiasm and your optimism definitely uh, definitely show. <laughs> yep. So, uh, and Jana, uh, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio. We've greatly appreciated your sharing your your time and expertise with us. Yep, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. ChoosePT.com.